My father gave his life so that we may have a chance to defeat this. So you've told us. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? What chance do we have? The question is what choice? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. Yes. Every moment you waste is another step closer to the ashes of Jeddah. In 2016, Star Wars films took a divergent line away from the Skywalker saga of episodes one through what would become nine and delivered the first of its kind, a Star Wars standalone film. That movie was Rogue One. While it had ties to the Skywalker saga, it was telling only a piece of the story between the prequel trilogy movies and the original trilogy movies, but from a part of the galaxy we hadn't witnessed. Much like the 1966 Tom Stoppard play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead did for Hamlet. Or, for our less Shakespearean people in the audience, like what The Lion King one and a half did for the original Disney classic. Yeah, okay. Rogue One showed us an offshoot of the original story from a different point of view. Two sentences from the opening crawl of A New Hope came to life in this movie for fans. And it was bad. Yeah. Wait, what? No, no, it wasn't. And that's what I love about Star Wars is it's always just been fun. And arguing about Star Wars, God bless us, is so much fun. Everything about Star Wars is fun. Brian J. Jones would be so happy now. The author of George Lucas, A Life is Right. Arguing about Star Wars is as much a part of this fandom as anything else. Much like Rogue One did and the movie Solo after it, we're going to use these going rogue weeks to take a slight detour off our main episodes and share a different viewpoint to our journey. And it's only fitting that our first going rogue will be our own debate over the movie Rogue One itself. From Brain Kick Productions, I'm John Gustatus. And I'm Keith Padeen. And we want to know, why do we love Star Wars? Going Rogue. Debating Rogue One. Darth Vader versus Chewbacca. Round one. Fight! John, you know this about me. You know that Rogue One drives me crazy. It's one of those things that whenever it comes up in a conversation between us, that we're like, okay, I'm going to let you have that, but I think it's time. I think it's time now for us to have this out. Respectfully, friendship-wise, as Brian J. Jones said, that's part of the beauty of being a Star Wars fan and being friends. So let me ask you a simple question, John. Why the hell do you like Rogue One? (laughs) You stole my line. (laughs) I I think it's interesting that two guys who put this much time and effort and energy into a podcast about Star Wars and why we love it don't love all of the same things. I think that's what will make hopefully this conversation interesting and maybe the whole podcast because we're coming at it from different levels. Um, And I've I've kind of alluded to this before. You're not a sci-fi fan. 
Right. Um, and, and I know that you asked me the question first and I'll get to that. Um, but I, I think that that's, what's really interesting. You and I grew up together. We have a lot of similarities and, and a point of view, but this is clearly not one of them. Um, rogue one. Um, I remember when it came out in theaters mm-hmm. and you and I were getting early reports from people who did see it. And I want to say someone said, it's better than Empire. And that, at that time, it was, Rogue One was the first new Star Wars movie that we got. That was even before The Force Awakens. Is that right? Or was it after? I don't remember. It was after. Anyhow, I recently rewatched Rogue One and I feel it has some of the best Star Wars that we've seen since the original trilogy. Um, I feel that the look, um, the, the textures, the, 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 there's so much about it that feels like the original Star Wars, but done in a modern way that it re that it reinvigorated my love for the series. Um, and in, and I said, I think we've talked about how it comes from a different viewpoint. Um, these, yeah, it's not the Skywalker saga, but I find all of these supporting roles to be very interesting and all of the stuff that had to have happened around the edges, uh, of this story to make the Skywalker saga take place are very important. The dude who designed and oversaw uh, the the creation of the Death Star. To me, that's interesting. Who is this man? Was he evil? We find out he's not. Um, and no, sorry, spoiler there. Um, but um, I I think what's interesting about it, and we'll talk about this in our Hero's Journey episode. But here's an example of the quest fulfilled, but with a with an unhappy ending, so to say. Mm. And everything else that we get from Star Wars, it's, you know, the hero saves the day, they get medals at the end, you know, sorry, Chewbacca. Um, <laughs> and, and everything is great. Here's an example of they did what they said they were going to do because they knew how horrible this one thing was. Um, and they gave their lives for it. Um, to me, that's, that's an interesting story. Um, these characters are different. They are not as... Um, boisterous, you know, like um, George Lucas said, do it again, but with more energy. The, they, they're, they're not always like that. They are sullen. They are downtrodden. They are um, underfoot of the empire. What does that look like? How do these people get so pissed off that they're like, that's it, last draw, we're going to do this? You know, the birth of the rebellion, uh, I think that needed to be seen. Um, you can make arguments that uh, either Jin or so or, um, or Andor, aren't your favorite characters uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But what they do with the story, and again, watching it again, I'm rooting for these guys, knowing that they're going to not survive this mission. But what they do survive with, you know, that little piece of data that's that launches the, the first Star Wars movie, to me, that's exciting to see it, to see where all this stuff comes from. And... Uh, there is one thing that I know that you and I agree on. Uh, at least I hope so. What's that? The scene at the end 
mm. when Darth Vader shows up. Yeah. Is it, I mean, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's hard to put it into words. That to me is some of the best Star Wars, that scene right there where Darth Vader comes out and just starts hacking away and he, he's a little cumbersome. He feels like Darth Vader, but he's just taking dudes out. There's just something wow about that, that I don't think a lot of the other movies really deliver on. So I know that's a long winded answer, but there's a lot I like about it. And that's, those are just some of the parts. And that's one of the best parts of a debate is that long winded works because we're telling our story. <laughs> we're telling our truth. Um, you know, so yeah, the Vader hallway scene is fantastic, but why did I love that? Because it's Darth Vader who I already have in four five and six. Right. And so did I care about uh, Jin? No. Did I care about Andor? No. Did I care about the guy who says the same thing 7,000 times throughout the whole movie? I wonder if the force, the force is move on next. No. Did I care about his friend? No. I'm like, that's just the guy who was like a random alien in men in black. That's the only reason I recognize this guy. I think he's the same character. Then you've got the other guy who's like a mechanic, who's like the skinny guy, and he's running around. And is he good? Is he bad? I don't know. You got K2SO. Funny. Alan Tudyk. He's fantastic. As the voice of Hey, Hey, the Chicken in Moana. He's fantastic. So, of course, he's very good here, you know, in, in this role. But, and I think, again, you know, Brian Volkweiss talked about it in our trailer that, that Star Wars is like pizza, that even bad pizza is still better than 90% of anything else you're going to eat. And that's true. So when it comes to Star Wars, Rogue One might end up being maybe my second least thing that they've ever done. Um, because let's not talk about the political craziness of Attack of the Clones. But it has moments. And all of them have moments, right? So episode one, people didn't, didn't necessarily like The Phantom Menace. But you can't tell me Duel of the Fates isn't one of the coolest scenes in all of Star Wars history, right? The, the Disney sequels, people didn't love it, but that throne room fight, same thing. Like, that's a cool scene. There's cool scenes in what we have from all of these different places. And maybe you don't. Maybe you didn't like one of those scenes. But to me, there's moments in these movies that you can like. But you give me Darth Vader, who's this character that we love. He has that amazing scene in the hallway which And that hallway literally leads to A New Hope, right? That hallway, like, connects to A New Hope, which is what this movie's going to do. But earlier in the film, he's got this scene with director, what's his name? Director Krennic, right? Is that it? Yeah. Director Krennic. And he's choke, force-choking Krennic. And Vader, like, slips in a pun he says, I hope you don't choke on your aspirations, Director Krennic. And, like, I remember out loud in the theater going, ugh. Like, the fact that they made Darth Vader. Now, they, they brought him back and made him this badass guy in the hallway. But that moment, I was like, when was Vader ever, like, Shecky Green from the Catskills? Like, why is all of a sudden he doing, like, shtick? I didn't understand why that had to be in this movie. You've got you've got um, Saul Guerrero, played by Forrest Whitaker, who's given this Oscar Award nominee character who doesn't belong in Star Wars at all. He's in a whole other movie. I don't know what he's doing. 
But like, you know, you've got the, the, the whiny female lead complaining about all of these things. She's Katniss Everdeen without a bow and arrow and she's running around and he comes in and he gives like these like, the world has ended and now because if you look at me, I'm half man and half robot and I live in the ground and I'm Forrest Whitaker. It's like, you're in a different movie, dude. I, I don't understand. It's like there's a great clip of Mark Hamill talking about Harrison Ford that Mark Hamill gets out of the trash chute and he says, you know, the very next scene when he sees Obi-Wan die, his hair is like perfectly quaffed. Well, wait a second. This is right after we got out of the trash compactor. Shouldn't my hair be all wet and matted with schmutz all through it? And he turns to me and says, hey, kid, it ain't that kind of movie. Right? It's the same thing. They, they, it, they put Rogue One and they tried to create like this, like dystopian, it was like the first three episodes of Andor, to be honest with you. It was that same kind of like, and yeah, I'm not a sci, star, uh, sci-fi guy. So like people are like, well, it's very much like, um, I can't even think of the name. What's the movie, the Harrison Ford movie? Um, Blade Runner. Yeah. Everyone says this is very like Blade Runner. I'm like, that doesn't do anything to me. That would be like, this is really great Mexican food. It's like that great place on the corner of Delante in Brooklyn. I don't know what that means. I've never ate the little place in Delante. I've never seen Blade Runner. To me, Blade Runner is just something people explain what it's like when you drive through Newark, New Jersey on 95. Like, I, there's, there's nothing about Blade Runner or sci-fi that made me want to watch this, like, gray, dark, kind of disappointing movie. Okay, so there's a couple things that I love about what you said there, um, but I have to ask first. Um, do I have it right that with the Rogue One characters, you didn't connect with any of them? None of them spoke to you. None of them were relatable to you. Is that right? Correct. And I, I don't know if relatable is what I'm looking for. In, in the movies that I like, and you talk about me not liking sci-fi again and and I think that's true. And I don't know if there's one genre that I like more than anything else. But what I like is a movie of people that I can root for and characters that I can root for, right? So, I mean, even in TV, it, I don't find that all the time. So you weren't rooting for them to succeed with getting the plans? No. You weren't? No, I was, no, because, and I think it was because it was a foregone, foregone conclusion that the plans were going to be gotten. There was no will they, won't they. It's like, yeah, okay, they're going to get them no matter what. And so it's, does the journey to that something that I care about or something that I'm interested in, you know? So you, you, you take about, you know, real quick, you talk about like Titanic. I knew what was going to happen at the end of Titanic, right? The boat's going to sink. But I ended up liking Jack and Rose enough to be invested in the movie. Right, so in that example jack and rose spoke to you their relationship spoke to you or at least it'll their characters allowed you to identify with them and get involved in the story as, as a result yeah or maybe the lightness of it the lightness of their relationship and how they went around and had fun before this disaster happened to me it seemed like rogue one was put upon from the very minute it was an entire two hours of just being put upon to me. What do you mean by put upon? Like they were just like the girl's father is pulled away from her while she's screaming and hiding in the tall grass. And, and then she's mad at the world and the world doesn't deserve me to be happy. And I'm going to go find Forrest Whitaker and he's going to show me how to act. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this. And then 
Andor is here and he's like Han Solo light, but with an attitude. And, and then and then we're gonna go over here and now here's C3PO with R2D2's attitude in one body as an imperial, you know, robot droid that is turned to the good and he's freaking funny. And so if there's one character, it's it's him. I actually talked to somebody recently who had the idea that at the last moment before K2SO had his big hero moment of dying, trying to hold off everyone, is that he downloaded his um, like inner workings and had it sent off with the battle plans so that in a future Star Wars movie, we actually can see K2SO born again. <laughs> and, I'd be, and I'd be like, that's fine. That's the only thing good about Rogue One. Let's bring him back. It's really interesting how... Um Rogue, I almost feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, a disdain from you um, from the words that you're choosing to describe the characters and the the movie itself. And if I could really quickly, um, it's not about the end. It's about the journey. And we both agree on that. Um, But so it sounds like you don't like the journey. And uh, again, coming up in an episode, we talk with Professor Mark Peterson uh, about the hero's journey. And what's the difference between a comedy and a tragedy? Uh, A comedy means that the ending is not certain. It means that things can go any way. Tragedy means that there is a foregone conclusion. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. it's much like if you were to see Hamlet, um, you know where that's going. Right. Uh, But you're there for the journey. Most of us have read Hamlet or experienced it in some way. We know what's going on. You know, Um, we're not there for the to be or not to be. It's it's how you know it's it's the scenes with Ophelia. It's you know, um, oh poor Yorick, I knew him well. We wanted we want to feel what these characters are feeling. And man, I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't disagree with you more (laughs) about how I felt with these characters and. Like I kind of said in the first part, what I think is fantastic about Rogue One is that you really felt under the boot of the Empire. Mm -hmm. What makes a rebellion but this, this these horrible conditions in which these people are living that they they get to a point where they say, you know, God is my witness. I'm not going to take any more. They're afraid, and I think that that's where the characters really resonate for me is that they are genuinely afraid of what they are up against, but they go up against it anyway, you know, and it sounds like you didn't really enjoy the performances of the actors very well, but man, I, uh, I, I agree with you in the sense that I, uh, from Jin Urso, I could have used a little bit more, um, of a personal feel. I think the closest that she got to it was when she was appealing to the round table, you know, about like, you know, that's what, you know, rebellions are made of. And, um, you know, I, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, not a lot of people, you know, put Jin Erso at the top, but, you know, of their character lists, but what she does do, um, it does line up for me. And, and what Andor does in the beginning is, uh, is establish who he is by killing a colleague. And that, like, that's different from Han Solo. That's colder. He's, 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 he's a little bit more calculated in that sense where, He's like, I'm going to do the thing that nobody wants to do, but needs to get done. And that's what makes him, that what makes, that's what makes him stand out as different. And you start off with that cold calculating killer. And then 
when he gets to uh, the planet, uh, the reigning planet, I think it's called Edu, where he has a chance to take out Galen, he doesn't do it. He doesn't kill him. There's, and then that humanizes him. That injects the audience into the story. He's, he's, he does have a conscience, you know? Um, and then what that other guy says is that the force moves differently around somebody who is about to kill. That's never been said before, but what a cool thing to say about the force. And that's what really enriches A, the characters, and B, the story for me at that point. So you're making great points, John, and and I hope that nowhere in the debate does anyone think that I'm not open to listening to what, or I don't, I would be mad that someone likes Rogue One. It's not, it's not that. But these characters, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest parts that you and I separate on, and one of the biggest parts that we both look for in a movie in one way or another. But you know what, let's, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's dive right back into that. Before the break, you were talking about what you saw in Jin, what you saw in Andor. And this is the part of it that let me know that there's something that didn't register with me. Is when we started this call, if you didn't say Jin or so, I never would have been able to recall her name. And it's not that I only seen the movie once. I've seen the movie three times. I've tried because the Star Wars fan in me is like, I have to try to like this. And because I remember when they announced Cassie and Andor was going to be a show. And I was like, why? Why are you making a show out of this random guy who I can't even remember his name? And if you didn't name a show after him, I'd have no idea about his name. But you're saying that he's got this different feel to it. And to part of you, to, to your enjoyment of this movie, war was the characters where it wasn't me. But talk more about that. Like, what, what about the rest of these characters grabbed you the way that... that I don't know why. It just didn't for me. I'm going to start by agreeing with you. When they announced the new show Andor, I didn't get it. Um, To me, he was a one and done kind of character. He served the purpose. This is the very type of character that it would be essential for a suicide mission like this to succeed. Um, And that's what everybody took it for, a suicide mission. Um, But again, I thought it was, I I thought his character arc had been completed. Why do I need a prequel TV story uh, about this character? Um, And I think you and I have talked about this before because you and I agree that we both, we both really liked the Endor series. Isn't that correct? After episode four. Uh, And I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, and, and, you know, we can talk about this too. Watching, Andor, after I watched the first two episodes, I was literally verbally upset yeah. that they were continuing to ruin Star Wars. And I'm like, why? What? A, you know, can they get somebody that understands writing in the room in production so that I'm not struggling through it? And I guess what we've we've agreed on is that if they had taken uh, episodes one, two, and three and put them together, um, 
as a an hour and a half opening uh, movie, mm-hmm. then it might have helped. But you know, when they wrapped episode one, I was like, okay, that was kind of a weird place to wrap. And then episode two did the same thing. And then, but I was like, it, you know, like like I'm, I, I got pissed, you know, because uh, like I love Star Wars, I want to enjoy it, I want to be in these worlds. And I was frustrated. I don't want to be frustrated while I'm watching a movie. You know, maybe some people enjoy that, but, you know, that's not a fun movie for me. Um, and then when we got to episode three, then all of a sudden it started to deliver. It started to it started to deliver on that adventurous aspect of Star Wars, you know. And I can see that the it, it took aspects of the Rogue One movie and just started to make a TV series out of it. It's that, what I mentioned before, the downtrodden aspect of um, living under boot of the empire and what would cause these people to revolt uh, or be brave enough to revolt. So uh, to me, that is interesting. And to go back to uh, Rogue One, I felt was done very well. You know, they had to show these characters. These characters are not having a good time. You know, (laughs) it's not, you know, they're not concerned about picking up uh, a power converter from Tashi Station. You know, like these, you know, like Jin's in prison, you know, with some squid face dude. Like, it looks like it's terrible, you know, and 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 what uh, um, Andor has to do is interesting. So they're, they're you, who are the main characters? It's, it's, it's those two characters. Um, and um, I'll, I'll admit, when they embrace each other at the end, I didn't see it as a romantic embrace. It was more or less like, they had gone through this together. Um, they genuinely appreciated who they were, uh, who each other was, and they were there for each other in that last unescapable moment. Um, and to me, again, that's a, that's the tragedy aspect of it. How how do we all, when we're tested, respond in that ultimate moment, especially a moment of both victory and the ultimate defeat of losing your life. Hmm. And to me, that's, that's where it delivers, you know? Um, and you had said earlier, um, uh, before that you, you watched it three times. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember how many times I've watched it. Um, to me, the ultimate, I would say that I judge a movie on its rewatchability. And we had talked about that before when I brought up Top Gun, you know, and it being a roller coaster ride, or even these, uh, the original Star Wars movies were a roller coaster ride to enjoy. There is something about this struggle in Rogue One, even though I know where it's going, that is enjoyable to watch. And um, my two boys, who are 10 and 13, when I pulled it up, they were glued to it. You know, we didn't finish it the first night. The next night they asked, can we finish watching Rogue One? And I'm like, okay, there's something here. I didn't ask them why. That would spoil the whole thing. You know, maybe they'll listen to this podcast someday and, <laughs> and start to, you know, figure that out or whatever. But um, to rewatch it. And then what I think is the, 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 the thing that Rogue One does best is what's the first thing you want to do after you're done watching it? jump right into a new hope. And if, if it makes me feel that that's great. Now, Rogue One isn't perfect. Don't, 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 you know, quote me on it, you know, being this flawless execution, but it does so many things right in my book that it, it's one of those enjoyable new Star Wars movies that they can do a lot of cool stuff with. When the hammerhead rams one of the Star Destroyers and pushes it into the other one that like I was, I had my arms up in the air, you know, and so did the boys. What? 
know. It's, it's like nothing you've ever seen. And it still fits comfortably in that universe. When all the ships dart through that one hole in the shield, and they go down onto the planet Scarif, and there is a Star Wars battle, but it looks more like you know the uh, like uh, it looks more like Vietnam in a sense. Like that's something that we've never felt before. But there is this troop aspect of it that, man, it's fun. It's fun and. And um, when they have space monkeys cheering for the Adat as it goes down, <laughs> I don't know, man. It, to me, there is plenty of fun, but it's it's just done in a different way. I have no memory of any of that. Like, <laughs> I don't remember space monkeys. I remember the planet of, you said it was Scarif. I remember the planet, and I was waiting for like MTV Spring Break to be broadcasting live from the, the planet somewhere <laughs> because it just seemed like Miami Beach to me. Like, I was like, I'm waiting for Tubbs to come rolling around in his Ferrari and, and help out. You know, it's, it was, I think part of it probably, you talk about the tragedy aspect of it and how they held, I mean, I audibly groaned when they held on to each other at the end. And it was like, I don't want to spend two hours waiting for somebody to die. Like, I just, don't want to do that with my quote unquote fun time, right? So I do. I like a lighter product. I like a lighter product. I understand that Breaking Bad is a fantastically done, written, and acted show. It's, I've never watched more than two episodes because I don't want to watch that in my fun time. Like it wasn't fun to me. And so it's about people that you root for. It is, you know, in all of my favorite movies, there are people that, you can root for my favorite shows, The West Wing, The Office, Friday Night Lights, people that you can root for, people that you're hoping have a great outcome. Um, you know, even with Titanic, I mean, going back to Titanic, I'm not a Titanic fan, but there's a moment where you don't know, does Jack and, and whatever her name is, Rose, get off the Titanic? Like we know Rose does, but does Jack also get off? We don't know these things, right? We know... Nothing good is going to come from all these people. So it's like, all right, so for the last half hour of this movie, we're going to decide how each of these characters dies. So you're just going to buckle in because now for the next 30 minutes, we're going to show you how all of them die. And it's like, oh, like I don't want that. I don't, I want dancing through the streets of Naboo. I want the Ewoks dancing with the fireworks in the sky. I want that ending to the movie. I also feel like, the, there's one line in the Star Wars where they say, the stolen data tapes of the plans of the Death Star. That's the line. And they took from that and made it into a two-hour movie, that one line. And to me, one of the reasons that the prequels aren't my favorite is because I liked my own backstory when I watched A New Hope that we didn't need that backstory. I didn't need to know where where Emperor came from. I didn't need to know the Skywalker bloodline. I didn't need to know why Anakin became Vader. We got all that through what was said, what Obi-Wan told us as we went through the thing. And now you're like, all right, we have this one line and we're going to make a whole thing about these eight new characters that you have to learn about. And to me, it was just like, it was like, all right, well, now we can sell like 10 more action figures or whatever it is. And then Rebels does a much better job for me getting excited about the rebellion 
than Rogue One does because Rebels is light. It's a cartoon, but it's light. It's got Jedi. It's got much more connection to what we're, we have going here than the dark, dank. Like, I always feel like when I watch that movie, I want to, like, turn the brightness up on my TV because I'm like, why do I have to watch everything in this dark, shadowy? I don't want to watch that for two hours of fun. Empire Strikes Back ends on a very low note. Yeah. They, uh, both Lucas and Irving Kirshner, understood the assignment that the middle act is supposed to leave your characters in peril. Right. Does that bother you? No, because I had hope for the next episode. There was a next episode coming. Lando was going off. There was a plan. We're all going to meet in this place. We're going to save Han. There was no question to me that we were going to get to... It was very much, this is step two. It was very much the middle act. This is step two of three. And so there we are. Rogue One is not, like, the sequel to Rogue One came out in 1977. Like, we've already so seen So wait that. a minute. You had no new hope after watching Rogue One as to what was going to happen next? No. No, I did not. <laughs> you know why? Because I've already seen why? it. Why? I've already seen it. Oh my, yeah, but exactly the point. Like, you know that this thing, like, it turns out good and they get medals at the end of the next movie. It would be like if you were watching Gordon Ramsay, Hell's Kitchen. And at the beginning of the show, they were like, hi, here are the five contestants. This one wins. The other three don't. Now let's watch the episode. And you'd be like, no. Actually, a lot of movies do that these days. A lot of TV shows do it too. Um, the episode opens with what happens at the end. Um, I think the, the latest um, Chris Hemsworth movie, extra, actually Extraction 1, not Extraction 2, but it starts off with the end and you see him bloodied and you see him struggling. It looks like he's dazed. And then what it does is that it says, this is where we're going. Now come along for the ride. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a very modern uh, technique. Now rogue one doesn't do that. Um, again, rogue one ends on a good beat. And that's the thing that I can't disagree with you more on is that yes, these two main characters die, thus the tragedy that we're talking about before, but the main plan succeeds. They under, extreme circumstances almost you know almost several times losing get those plans to defeat the death star off the planet and into princess leia's hands so in the end it kind of worked out vader doesn't get them the ship gets away and it perfectly perfectly in my opinion segues into that next movie mm. um i think part of it was Maybe I was jarred by CGI Leia, which they were still they were still learning that at the time. So maybe that was a little jarring. I agree. All they needed to do was shoot her from behind. Yeah. The ones you see the CGI face. Yeah, again, I never said that Rogue One was perfect, but I agree with you. But then for her to turn and again just have this dark, miserable movie have this like campy line, right? Like, what's on that disc? hope like i'm waiting for the guy behind her to be like do you think it's a new hope like i'm waiting for this like cheese ball continuation all of a sudden it was the carol burnett show to me it was like it was okay like, i was like especially right after that whole vader hallway thing 
I couldn't I couldn't disagree with you more. Yeah. This is it had nothing Carol Burnett about it. And I have to also answer the thing you said before about Vader using a pun. Um yes, it was punish, uh, but it was in by, it was by no means a moment of levity. Um that is not the scene that we got, and that's not the scene that I watch. And then I do enjoy that scene with Vader and um and Krennic because he's very visibly um, way beyond his capabilities. And I, I've known a lot of people in business who are just like Krennic and God, it felt good to have. And that's what was so cool about that moment for me is that here you have Vader, who is clearly a bad guy doing something to put the other bad guy in his place. Cause ever since that first scene, you hate Krennic so much. And for that brief moment, like Vader brought him to his knees and you're like, yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, am I rooting for Vader? This is weird. Same thing happened in, uh, in that, that hallway scene at the end when he starts cutting people down. All of a sudden you're rooting for Vader. You're like, what's going on? How is he not the baddest of all bad guys? You know? Um, so to me, that's an interesting thing to watch. Um, I don't feel like, I don't get that at all. Carol Burnett from one line that she says, you know, here's the thing, that line with that scene with Krennic. And again, having watched it three times, you said that you hated Krennic from the beginning, right? Yeah. I was apathetic to Krennic. I couldn't have fascinating. I couldn't have cared less. Like he didn't bother me. He didn't wow me. He didn't annoy me. I had no feelings towards Krennic whatsoever. Which is, I think, the whole premise of my thoughts on Rogue One is I really had, I didn't care about any of it. None of did it. Did you watch? Did you actually watch this movie on a TV? On, in the theater and on a TV. I, and, and I think that that's what's cool and that's what's fun about this debate is that like I, I can't conceive of what you're saying at all. Yeah. I don't understand. You had mentioned before about you have, you, 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 you refer to it as being an assignment. I have to learn about these eight characters. Um, I, I don't feel like it's, it's an assignment at all. Like these, these characters open up before us, you know, and in a very, um, I guess, uh, fluid way, uh, show us who they are and what they're going, uh, you know, what, where they're going and what they're going through in a sense that you, you kind of, they're easy to glom onto and go along for the ride. Um, this is a ride. It is, and it's got spills and chills, you know, it's, it's not, this is not haunted mansion, yeah. you know, this is not a Disney ride, um, which is kind of cool because this is like one of the first Disney movies that came out. And it's a very un-Disney movie uh, in some aspects of it. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. And then something else that you said before, you were talking about the prequels. Um, you didn't need to know about how the Emperor came about. Um, George Lucas talks about this entire uh, Star Wars saga being about one person, Anakin. So for him, he was completing the story by telling you the first part. And there's, there's that legend about how he went into the, the studios and he's like, I've got this idea for nine movies. And he's like, huh? They're just like, let's just do this fourth one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, and just you know, stop bothering us, George. Um, little did they know. So he's kind of going back and he's creating the cycle of, for this character. And every good character has a great arc. 
you know, and, and they have a struggle and they have the things that have to happen to them. They, they try and they fall down. No character, in my opinion, is interesting when things are easy for them, mm-hmm. when things always work out. There's nothing, there's nothing entertaining about that. Those are the characters that I find the hardest to glom onto, to get behind, to root for. The ones where everything just seems to work out. If I see a little bit of struggle or, you know, they've got to kind of get around a certain obstacle or or other characters, to me, that's where I get invested. And I agree with that. And and I, I agree that you can't have the joy without the challenge to get there. And that's that's life in and of itself. What I don't want is a two-hour movie where it's an hour and 58 minutes of the struggle. Like, I don't need that struggle the whole time. Like, you know, it's, I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself. We need to prove ourselves together. I need to prove it. Hey, it's Jimmy Smith. Let's prove ourselves with Jimmy Smith. Okay, now we're going to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. Like, it was just like, it's like the Ben Stiller comedies, right? So I love comedy movies. I can't stand Ben Stiller movies because the entire movie is a con- continuous misunderstanding. Like, and, and, and it's like, how many times can this guy, it's like the Taken movies with Liam Neeson. How many times can you kidnap the same guy's daughter? And so it, like, to me, it was just like, you waited the whole Rogue One movie to watch how these guys died. And it was, it was. It's un- about the journey, man. Unfulfilling to me. It was, it was unfulfilling that I don't, none of the characters made me want them specifically to win. I want the rebellion to win. I want the I want the rebellion to win, right? I want the rebels to come together. I love what they're doing now where like Ahsoka seems to be kind of leading towards that place. Like, you know, like where we can see the rebels again reborn. And 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 I think, you know, so we have this ability, but like it's just to me, Rogue One. I don't know. I've I've really tried. I've really wanted it to be something that it wasn't. And to me, it's just I just I guess the real the real answer is I just don't care. And it sounds like it's the type of movie that it is, and the characters that are required for that type of movie. They they you just don't connect with that. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And I have nothing against those kinds of movies. Um, I mean, yeah, I get pissed at movies all the time. Like, oh, this is a tired trope. I've seen this before, or we all know where this is going. Um, Mission Impossible movies. Like, we all know that he's gonna. Tom Cruise is going to be just fine in the end. Um, But you watch it anyway because of the ride. And the ride is, to me, the best part um, of those Mission Impossible movies. It's, I don't know. I'll go back to like saying that I don't, it it sounds like we're not, it sounds like we've reached a certain stalemate. I don't think either of us are going to convince the other. I don't think we're going to bring the other one to our side. And maybe that's not what this is about. Um, But it's presenting two sides of why people like and don't like this one movie. Um, and I think that that's maybe the fun of this. Both of us, I think at different points have shown passion, but yeah, maybe we'll never agree on this and and maybe I should take maybe out of there. <laughs> it's clear that we'll never uh, agree on, you know, whether or not Rogue One is a good movie. I, I, I think it's, to me, it's clear that it is a good movie, but whether you like it is completely subjective. And that's, and that's uh, what we're going to probably enjoy with a lot of the, uh, the Star Wars properties coming up as we watch everything roll out. We'll be back next time with episode four of our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about this Rogue One debate? 
Which side are you on? Are you Team Keith? Or are you Team John? Or are you your own team? So please leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast and join the discussion. Why Do We Love Star Wars is produced by Brain Kick Productions. This episode was written and debated by myself, Keith Padine, and John Gastatis, who also composed the original music. Thank you to Brian J. Jones, and thank you for listening. You can join the debate by leaving us a comment wherever you're listening to this, on our social media pages as well, or even email us your thoughts or a voice recording to hello there at whydowelovestarwars.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can join fellow supporters of our podcast at patreon.com forward slash whydowelovestarwars and see the episode notes for this one and all our episodes at whydowelovestarwars.com. Knockout. You win. All too easy.